and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, January 30th, 2022, from the book of Acts in chapter 27. Hey, I wanted to read to you guys out of, this comes out of Acts chapter 27. Um, so... This is like, so this is the, um, this is from like the journey of the Apostle Paul. Like, so, so, but do y'all know what an apostle is? Like, so, apostle is, the word apostle is a Greek word. It comes from the word apostello, which means to send. And it means somebody who's been sent out, like on a mission. It's the same word, it's a, the Greek, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but it's a Greek word form of the word missionary, which is a Latin word, which comes from the word mitere, where you get like transmission. So it's somebody who's been sent out. So he was like a missionary, like on a mission. And in Acts chapter 27, they were on their way to Rome in a cargo ship and they were in a, a, like a, a shipwreck. And, and the person who's writing this is Luke, who wrote Luke, the Gospel of Luke. So this is, the book of Acts is actually the Gospel of Luke, volume two. And he talks about everybody who went, blah, blah, blah. And then around chapter 16, he starts to say, and then we did this and we did that. And so most people understand at that point, Luke maybe became converted to Jesus and started to go around with like Paul everywhere on his journeys. And because scholars said, so Acts chapter 27, scholars say, is the most detailed account in antiquity of a shipwreck. And obviously the person who's telling this was an eyewitness, like was really on it. So that was, that was a lot. So, but anyway, but the whole chapter is about this shipwreck. But so, and I thought I wanted to talk about this for, well, for a certain reason, for it was a shipwreck that lasted two weeks. Like they were in a storm that was two weeks long of this shipwreck of a, a, out on the Mediterranean. And I wanted to talk about it for like maybe three weeks. So I thought I would call this three weeks in a two-week storm. So, but the main thing is like Paul, when you look at him, I mean, he is amazing. Like, how, can, how do you be like him? Like, I want to be like him. So the consistent message that he gave throughout this entire storm that lasted two weeks was, take courage, everybody. Be brave, everybody. And then, so like in verse 23, just before dawn, so they've been in this storm for two weeks, and he urged them all to eat some food. For the last 14 days, you have been in constant suspense and gone without food and haven't eaten anything. So eat some food, everybody. You need it to survive. And don't, and because you're not gonna lose one single hair of your head. And when he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of all of them and broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And there were 267 of, 276 of us on board and everybody ate as much as they wanted. And then they dumped the grain in the sea to kind of lighten the load. But anyway, Lord, 
that was complicated, but help us to understand this. Just this moment, this heart, this person, I want to be like him. I think it's, we're all going to have moments where we're going to need to be like him. So help us know what it means to be brave. In Jesus' name, amen. So that is, so the, like for me in my life, like in d- doing things that Jesus gives me to do, the hardest part about it, almost always for me, is getting there, like just like that, um, traveling there, like because it kind of scares me, like it scares me to fly and it scares me to, um, so one time, and I don't, I hate feeling scared that way, so one time I was coming, I had to come back from Italy to the States and I was coming through, I had to land in Dulles and we were coming, so the way you do that, like if when you come back from Europe is you go way north and then you come down like Nova Scotia. So we went, we were flying down Nova Scotia and to Dulles to, in Washington, DC. And there was a high pressure system coming in. And so we were riding in this high pressure system. So the plane was just going, it was just going up and down, up and down, up and down. I mean, you're going 300 miles anyway, and like you're five miles above the earth, but then you're just going up and down, up and down, up and down in the storm, like we're in this storm. And it was, I was like, I, I just thought I was gonna totally freak out. And then there was a guy sitting beside me, he was totally calm. And so, but we finally landed. I was like praying the whole time. I'm just about to, I was about to just, Speaking tongues. I mean, I was so, I was just like, God, help us, help us land. Then we landed, and then we wound up going to the bathroom. I had to go to the bathroom because it had scared that out of me. And I went to, within the bathroom, and the guy that was sitting beside me in the plane was in the, using the bathroom right beside me. And I said, wow, that was, pretty, that was pretty bumpy because I wondered what he thought about it. And he said, I've traveled multiple times a week for the last 34 years. That was the worst flight I'd ever been on. And I was like, I'm so glad, like, I'm so glad I wasn't just like freaking out. I mean, nothing's gonna happen. Like your chances of being struck by lightning are one in 80,000. Your chances of being eaten to death by a shark are one in nine million. So you don't have to worry about that. But your chances of dying in an airplane crash are one in a hundred million. Like it's just, it's not gonna happen, but it's still kind of freaky. And you know, there was a, gosh, a few years ago, I had to go do a Young Life thing in Innsbruck, Austria, for it was like people on staff with the Young Life military, military branch of Young Life. So I had to fly from Frankfurt to Innsbruck. And when I got, and then I got on the plane and looked out the window, and there were either three propellers or four on each wing. And I thought, no, no, we're doing this. I don't even know how many, because I didn't look. Once I looked, I was like, we have propellers on this thing. And the reason is because Innsbruck, you go through the Alps, and then the airport, you don't really see it till you get over the last little Alp, and then you go down. You have to, I think that's how, it's the only kind of plane that can go down into that airport. And then, but also what happened was about seven weeks before this, one of the planes on the airline that I was on had crashed into the mountain. And the reason is because the pilot, the theory was the pilot was having a really hard time and he might have done it on purpose. And I was on you know, that airline. And when you get on the plane, it was kind of small, so the pilot's right there. 
And I was just like, wow. You know, and I just feel like, can I pray with you? Like, you know, are you okay? You know, it was just, it was just so, just so weird. But, um, but Paul was like never afraid. Like when you think like his travels, his travels as a missionary, he traveled so like, if you take the amount of walking he did, he walked in the, in the, what we know of the New Testament, as far as from New York City to Los Angeles. And then back to New York City. And then back to Los Angeles. That's how far he walked in. And then on a boat, he, it, he was on ships a little bit further than back from Los Angeles to New York, a little bit further than that. And there were bandits and there were wild animals. And you just think when they were walk, you were walking. And what if you got sick? Like if you're out walking and you get sick, I mean, it would be miserable. You know, but there was a time, I remember one time, Andy Morgan and I and Austin Morgan, and we went to Spain to help out with the Young Life Madrid team because they were, they were gonna be hosting in a hostel along the Camino de Santiago, which is a pilgrimage that people, hundreds of thousands of people take every year. Okay, it's, it's about 500 miles if you do the whole thing, along northern Spain. And they stay in little hostels, and the Young Life people would keep it open, and they'd offer people tea and coffee, and then we could host 20 people a night. And you'd make a big dinner, and they'd sing around and laugh and talk and sing. And um, they slept in cots, like in a rescue mission, you know, 20 of all your favorite people that you've never met. And then, um, but we were usually full about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, because you have to get a space while you're walking so that you don't sleep in the road or anything. And so I was setting up in the morning about 7.20, and there was a girl. Her name was, was Rosella. She was Italian. And she said, she was walking down the road at 7.15, and she said, can I stay here tonight? And I was like, a little early. It's a little early to be signing up, but um, sure. She said, I am so sick. I have never been this sick in my life. And so she went upstairs and got in the cot. She had a bad fever, and Andrew checked on her during the day. And then her fever broke, and she came down there later that afternoon. And she said, you know, when you grow up, you believe in God, you don't believe in God, you pray, you don't pray, you don't, I don't know, you don't think about it. That was the first time in my life I've ever thought, God, you have to help me. I cannot walk another step. I don't know what I'm going to do. Help me. And there you were, standing right in front of me. And we wound up talking about, you know, Jesus the whole night. But when you think about just traveling and then getting on a ship like so Paul when he got on the ship he and Luke got on the ship on the coast of Israel to go to Rome that's where they were going this was his 12th trip on a ship on a cargo ship it was his 12th and it was going to be his fourth shipwreck so 33% of the time he got on a ship, he wound up in the water. And I'm just like, I would have so much PTSD. I don't know how you got on that. You know, but so, but he did, he gets, he got on this ship, these big cargo ships that were almost as big as a football field. And they had like hundreds of tons of grain. It was taking grain, that one was taking grain from Africa to, there would be 100,000 tons of grain going from Africa to Rome every year. So it was one of those. And so then, so they're going along the coast, they go along the coast of Cyprus, whatever. And then, so, so this was after the Day of Atonement. So it was, 
end of October, beginning of November, which they stop all the shipping on the Mediterranean because wild in no, from November to March, these wild winds would come in. And it was super, super dangerous. So that they had gotten to Crete. And they, and they said, so, and they were in a little place called Fairhaven and they were gonna stay there till March, just so that, because you shouldn't really be on the Mediterranean in the other month. So they were gonna stay till March, Fairhaven. And somebody said, it's better in Phoenix, which it's just 40 miles. We can do it in half a day. Let's go to Phoenix. They have casinos and stuff. I don't know what it was, but some, it'd be better for the winter. And then, so they go these, and Paul said, it's not a good idea. They went the 40 miles, all of a sudden, in between these two ridges, this, the, one of those winds came in and just blew them out into the Mediterranean. So there's just wild winds. It said it was a gentle wind that became, the Greek word is typhoonicus. Like a, it was a typhoon, it was a hurricane. Just blowing them out into the Mediterranean, just wind blowing, just just waves, wind blowing, wind blowing. And it says you couldn't, and just this ship going up and down, up and down in the waves. And you couldn't see the sun, you couldn't see the stars. And this was going to go on for two weeks, like two weeks of this, of just like winds blowing, shh, you couldn't hear yourself think. So what are we, you know, what are we gonna do? So they, they decided, so they decided, okay, this is really bad. And so a couple of them went to the front of the ship like in the wind blowing them and they put through a rope over the front and they worked it under the ship and they decided we're gonna keep the ship together with ropes. No, no, I mean, do it if you need to, but it, I mean, are you kidding me? We're gonna keep our ship together with ropes. It's kind of like when I'm on a plane, like, and I feel like he's banking too much and I'll kind of lean this way. And it's like, it's, I know it's not healthy, but although have you ever been on a plane where they say, we need a couple of people to go to the back? because of the weight, I'm like, really? This really happens? You know, it's like, <laughs> I feel like telling the guy beside me, hey, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. Will you go stand in front of this plane while I'm in the bathroom just to keep it up? But anyway, so then, and then they throw the, so then they start throwing these bags of grain overboard to lighten it. Then they start throwing their equipment overboard. And then Luke said, then we threw our hope overboard. He said, we gave up hope. We gave up hope of even making it through this. We did, Paul didn't. Like Paul, like Paul, his message was, take courage, everybody. He said it over and over, take courage, everybody. Let's take courage, everybody. It's kind of like the, the wilder the storm got, the calmer he got. And I'm thinking, how do you do that? How, how do you be brave? Like, how can you be brave? Which is different than being, like, you know where it says, don't be anxious, okay. Not being anxious is a different thing because not being anxious is like trying to not have yucky feelings about something that hasn't really happened and may never happen. But, um, and it feels yucky. I remember one guy saying when he, he said, whenever I get anxious, my palms sweat and my mouth gets dry. And his friend said, what do you do? He said, I lick my palms. That's what I do. But they, but I hate that feeling. But being brave is, it's not a yucky feeling when something really hasn't happened. It's a good feeling when something scary is happening. Like when Paul says take courage, it's a Greek word that isn't used much in the New Testament, but it's used, it means to have good feelings. Have a good feeling. It's, it's translated in the book of James chapter five. Cheer up, be cheerful. Cheer up everybody. Just like, how do you do that? Like, how do you be that person? Because I think if you, if you do decide that I want to serve Jesus, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, there are gonna be moments when you have to be brave. 
if you're really going to follow him and really going to serve him, I mean, the guys that first, they were fishermen. And all of a sudden, and they're following Jesus, and it wouldn't be long before they would be preaching to thousands of people. You're, you're going to have to be brave to do that. It's the number one fear of Americans is public speaking. The, the number two fear is the fear of death, which Jerry Seinfeld said that that means at a funeral, you would rather be the person the dead person than the person giving the eulogy, you know, but they, then they were gonna be beaten and hated and go to jail. But the, like for me, the people, people I've always loved them, just loved and loved their life. And just like, I wanna be like them, are people that serve Jesus. And when the time came, they were brave. And I've always asked myself, could I be brave? You know, there was a young man, he was 21, a British young man who had accepted Jesus when he was 16. And he read a book about China and how people don't know about Jesus in China. He's like, I've got to go there. I've got to go. In 1853, when he was 21, his name was, was James Hudson Taylor. And he got on a ship. And it took five months for him to get to China. And there were about 90 missionaries, British missionaries in China. And they made a little English village and they had their tea at five and they played cricket and they, you know, the way they did. And he learned Chinese really quick, like in about seven months. And he, on his first trip out into the country, he was in a village and there were about 200 people that had come to listen to him. And he shared the message of Jesus for about an hour. And they just listened in silence. And then he said, does anybody have any questions? And a man raised his hand and said, Okay, ever since you started talking, I've had this question. Your coat has two buttons on the back, but they don't button anything. Why are they there? And he was like, okay, this will never happen again. And he bought himself a Chinese robe that a teacher would wear. And he dyed his hair black. And then he shaved his head until, a, a, except for a little bit on the top, the way teachers would do, and then he braided it. And all of his colleagues and all of his friends laughed at him so hard. And they said, you are ridiculous. And he didn't care. He was just brave. And Chinese listened to him because he dressed like them. I think about Mary Bethune a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute in 1885, whose dream was to be a missionary to Africa. But there was no American mission board that would accept African-Americans to be missionaries to Africa. So she started a school for poor kids in Tampa, Florida. They sang on the street corner to raise money for their school. It was a school for girls. She made pies and sold them. And then one night, the Ku Klux Klan rode onto their property. And Mary Bethune and those girls got on the porch and they began to sing, be not afraid, whatever betide, God will take care of you. And they sang the Ku Klux Klan 
off of their campus. And I'm like, that's how you do this. There's a, you know, I think about Casper Ten Boom, it was in his mid 80s in Amsterdam, and, and when and Jewish people that they loved began to disappear. And they were realizing we may need to become a part of this underground, of an underground to hide Jewish people, to get them out of here because they're disappearing until one day a woman came who had an infant and she said, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to hide. And they took her in their house with this infant. They knew they couldn't keep an infant because they would be discovered. And a pastor came, they were, he was a watchmaker and a pastor came and he needed him to work on his watch. And Corey, his daughter Corey worked on the watch and she said, pastor, I need to confess something to you. And because this pastor lived outside of town in a house off of the road. And she said, we have a Jewish woman in our house that we're hiding with the baby. Will you keep this baby and this woman and she, he said, you don't, do not be getting involved in this business. Do not be getting involved in this underground business. You have to think about your father. You have to, and she, Corey Ten Boom, she couldn't listen to him anymore. She went upstairs and she got the baby and she brought it down and handed it to him. And he looked at the baby and he said, I can't do this. I can't risk my life for a Jewish baby. And Casper Ten Boom came downstairs and said, give the baby to me. It would be my greatest honor to give my life for God's chosen people. And I'm like, that's how you do this? Like, you, how do you be brave, you know? And it was just like, Paul was so brave. And in this storm, he was so brave. And so I'm just thinking about it. How, how do you get to be a person that, that is brave, when you need to be brave. And you're telling people to cheer up when everybody's afraid. And so one thing I thought about, so he was on his way, he and Luke and them, they were on their way to Rome because he was on a mission. Like Paul was a person who, I have a mission. God has given me a message and a mission. And at the beginning, and I need to spread this message everywhere. And so it's something that God has given. The message is a message that he gave to me. When he accepted Jesus, it was a whole turbulent thing. But then he went away for about uh, up to three years. And he said, and God gave me a message, the message of the good news of Jesus and a mission. I've got to say, I've got to share this everywhere. So he, when they started to share it in little towns and then... He would share it in towns and stuff. And then after a while, he started to switch. He, he started to go to big cities. He went to Athens and he's like, oh, big cities are amazing. There's a lot of people from everywhere. You can share with a lot of people. They'll take it everywhere. And so he spent a lot of time in Corinth and he spent a lot of time in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, so in Ephesus, Ephesus in, in Acts chapter 19, he said, I need to go to Rome. So from chapter 19, in the gospel of Luke, there's a section of chapter nine through chapter 19 where it said that Jesus, it was about a six month period where Jesus said, it's time for me to head towards Jerusalem to, to lay down his life. It was just a journey from nine to 19 of Jesus on a journey to Jerusalem to give his life for us. And then in the book of Acts from chapter 9 through chapter 28, it's Paul in Ephesus saying, I've got to get to Rome to share the message of Jesus who gave his life for us. So he, because he has this message to give a message, 
He wrote them a letter. Like he wrote them a letter when he wanted to go to Rome. There were some Christians there. He didn't know a lot of them. Nobody really knew how they started, but he's like, I got to get to Rome and just really share the message there in Rome because it's the most important city in the world. And big cities are where this happens. So he said, before I get there, I need to make sure you all understand my message. So, so he, wrote him, he wrote the letter to the Romans. Paul said, I got to come there to see you guys. Let me, make sh- let me tell you my message just to make sure you understand it. So he told them the message of just how everybody's a complete and total mess and we've all done a million things and nobody can pay for what they've done or our hearts are hopefully polluted, hopefully polluted and you, nobody can pay for, just clean up their own heart. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to die and to rise again to pay for everything we've ever done and everything we ever will do. If you'll trust in him, this is my message. You'll be completely forgiven of everything you've ever done, do, or will do in your life. It's a gift in an instant, completely and totally forgiven. In fact, you can be justified. You would be justified. You will be justified if you accept this gift, which means more than forgiven. It means you're pronounced perfectly holy, acceptable, and righteous because just as Our guilt was transferred to Jesus when he died for us in that horrible way, even though he never did anything wrong. When you believe in him, his righteousness is transferred to you, even though we've never done anything 100% right. And somebody said, well, if I believe that, then I'm just completely forgiven without doing anything um, of everything I ever will do. I could just believe that and just live any way I want. And Paul's like, that's absolutely true. The only thing is, not only do you get a new start, you get a new heart. And Jesus comes to live inside of you when you accept this gift, and he changes the things that you want. And so Paul said, this is the message I have. And I'm on a mission. I, I am on a mission to share this message everywhere. And I'm going to roam to share it there. That is my mission. That's where I'm going. So God has a mission for you. Like he, So it might not be that. Like it might not be what Paul's was. But God has something for you. He has something for you and for me to do. Like it's your own personal, it's your own personal mission. Do you feel that? Like you're, there's a place in um, Ephesians chapter four, where it says you basically, you have a super, when you accepted Jesus, you, you, you received a superpower. You, it might be sharing the message of Jesus. It might just be loving people, loving people who need love. They'll listen if somebody loves them. Um, it might just be like helping people. It might be being super generous, but you, you have a superpower and you have a mission. You have a personal mission. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship, created, that's the word poem. It's the Greek word poema, which is like God is writing a poem with your life. Like it's, he has a plan to make your life unlike any life that's ever been lived. And we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that you should do them. God has things for you to do that only you can do. And if you don't do them, they won't get done. And you're like, well, what, what is it? How do I know what God has for me? How do I know what my mission is? I don't really know if you need to know. Um, I don't really know if you really can know. 
because like in detail, like in my life, stuff that, that I've been involved in and stuff that I've done, I didn't know I was going to do it. I wasn't planning on doing it. Like when, when we went to Italy and we were, we, we were starting churches and we started a church, we started this church and in ways that I didn't anticipate doing. And the first people that came to know that Jesus was, um, one of them was the guy that really kind of became my best friend. His name was Antoine. And he was Lebanese. He was Arabic. And a couple of other Arabic guys came to know Jesus. And then our Italian church started. Well, then we started getting some other, Antoine knew other Arabic guys. So we started getting some Arabic Egyptian Christians. And they were very, very strong Christians. And we started getting a number of them. So we had a lot of Italians. We wound up having people from 17 countries. We had a lot of Italians. But then we had this Arab, and so there, was a, there was a guy named Magdi who had been in musical theater in Egypt. And he came to Italy, came to know Jesus. And we would, in our worship service, all of a sudden Magdi would begin to sing in Arabic. <coughs> Praises to Jesus, like shukran li rabdada. And then they would all start singing. It would last for seven minutes. And I thought, this is awesome. I'm not really sure how sustainable this is. You know, to have this, you know, right in the middle of our Italian church, seven minutes of people singing in languages that most people don't understand. So they said, could we have a church of our own? I said, yes, let's build, do a church of our own. There wasn't a lot of leader training to do because they had been persecuted for their faith. They would get up and pray at six o'clock, get together, and we'd pray six o'clock in the morning, three times a week. I mean, if they did any leader training, I would ask them, what do I need to learn? Y'all need to teach me this stuff. But they, but, and so that went for, so we, we just, let's do it on a Sunday night. And it was about, you know, it went to like 120 people. And, at the, and then we found out it was the only Arab language Protestant church in Italy at the time. And I didn't, and that I was a part of starting it. I didn't mean to start it. It was kind of an, I would have had to stop it. It was just like God just did it. Yeah, I didn't know that was going to happen. It just happened by accident. So in Ephesians, so, um, well, in, in Ephesians 2.10, he said, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All you have to do is walk. Just walk with Jesus every day. Walk behind him, walk beside him, walk to be like him. Just walk with him every day. And you'll walk into them. But the most, okay, so this is the most, this is the most, in my humble opinion, the most important attitude that is necessary to find out what God has for you. In, uh, in Romans 12, where it does talk a lot about those superpowers that God gives us and all the different things that he has for us to do, but it says in the first verse, I beg you guys to give your body, give your life to God as a living sacrifice. It's something from the book of Leviticus where you'd given, like, you'd give an animal like a goat or a sheep or something to God and it was a way of saying, this is me, this is my life, this is my time, this is my body, this is my life. I give it to you. I owe it to you. It's only reasonable. Jesus died and rose again. He bought my life. I, I give you my life. I give you my heart. 
I give you my time. I give you myself. I don't want to belong to me anymore. I want to belong to you now. It says in the, in the book of, in the gospel of Luke, he said, it's that thing where you take up your cross. Like I give, I'm taking up a cross. I'm giving my life to God. And Luke says every day, you do it every day. And the burnt offering was offered to God in the morning and in the evening. And so it's like, it's this thing I'm doing, but I'm going to renew this every morning. I'm going to renew it every evening. I'm going to tell God, I belong to you. My life is yours. My time is yours. I think if a person did that, I want to know what God has for me to do. Just do this for 40 days. Wake up in the morning and say to God, you have my life. You have my time. I belong to you. I no longer belong to me. I belong to you. I want, I give myself to you. Tell me what to do. At the end of the 40 days, come on now, tell me you wouldn't know more than you knew before about where God wants to use you. Just say, I give myself to you. That's how Paul did it. That's how he encouraged people to do it. But the one thing that will do for you is if you feel like, I want to find my mission, I give myself to God. I don't belong to me. I belong to him. The one thing that I'll guarantee you it'll do for you is it'll make you brave. Because you have nothing to lose at that point. Because you already gave it away. Your life is his. Your time is his. Your body's his. It's all his. You don't have to be afraid. And you don't have to be afraid of losing. You'll be the one telling people, cheer up everybody. Let's be brave. We gave up our heart to him. We gave our life to him. We gave our time to him. We gave our body to him a long time ago. Um, so when Hudson Taylor, this 21-year-old kid, gets on this little ship called the Dumfries, and they're leaving the Sea of Ireland, the Irish Sea, they get a storm, like in a storm, right off the bat. It was terrible. And it was going to blow them into the rocks, into the rocky shores. And the captain said, I don't know if we're going to make it. This is the worst storm I've ever been in. I don't know if we can make it another 30 minutes. And he turned to Hudson Taylor and said, what about you? What about this mission to China? What about the fact that you were going to go to China? And he said, I still trust in the middle of this storm that we're going to make it. But even if we don't, I would be proud to give my life. And God knowing I was trying to do it. I don't know, Lord, how we get our mind around what this means for us. But I want to try to learn, what does it mean that my life is yours? What does it mean that my time is yours? What does it mean when the apostle says you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. I want to go deeper and further in understanding myself, what that means, so that when it matters, I won't be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, everywhere you turn, it seems there's a face turned down with the tears in their eyes. Is it a nightmare that the world streams and the pace of the crowd doesn't slow as it goes by? And what can I really do with just these two hands at my side? Is it that simple? Can I make a ripple in this overwhelming tide?
Take a 